Hello, Praise Chapel Paramount. This is Pastor Omar Lopez. This past weekend, I continued the series on Giants Must Fall. I talked about faith versus fear. The people of Israel in the book of Numbers had fear. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. They exaggerated the problem, and they saw themselves not able to defeat these giants that were in the land, and therefore were not able to inherit the promised land. But the Bible says when we look through eyes of faith, when we look through God's perspective, our strength is a lot larger and bigger than any grasshopper. And when we look through eyes of faith, giants must fall. Praise the Lord. Well, we're glad you're here. Turn to your neighbor and say you're in the right place at the right time right now. Well, we welcome all of you today. Are you glad you're in the house of God? And so we're, we're on a theme this month called Giants Must Fall. How many believe that the giants have to fall? And we've been talking about, like all of us have, probably in life you felt like an underdog and perhaps you know of different uh, uh, situations where you've seen a team or, or a person even in a boxing ring where they were the underdog and basically they were expected to lose. And somehow something switched, something turned around, and they end up winning. And we're using the analogy basically of King David, or before he was King David, he was just a shepherd boy. And the Bible says he was facing this giant by the name of Goliath. And the scripture says that, giant, that this giant Goliath had been a warrior since his youth. In other words, he was trained as a young man to be a warrior, and now he's this big ferocious guy. I don't know if that's a great picture of him, but uh, so to speak, there it is. And there's little, little, little David somewhere, somewhere down there. There he is right over here. And uh, he basically, David is just this young shepherd boy. He has no military experience, but with just a slingshot in his hand and God in his heart, he slays the giant. Hallelujah. And that's what we're talking about this month. We're talking about how to slay the giants in your life. One of the things that separated David from everybody else on that battlefield that day is how he saw himself. Not just how he saw himself, but how he saw God. And that separated him from everybody else because he saw God as a big God. He saw God as somebody that could be with him because the Bible says uh, he shouts out that this is the battle of the Lord or the battle belongs to the Lord. He knew that God was on the battlefield with him, and he was not standing alone. So I want to pray as we get into this message this morning and pray that God would help us as we dive into this. Father, we thank you today for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, today that you would just put faith in the hearts of people today to slay the giants that are in their lives, whatever problem there may be, whatever issue there may be, whatever thing that they're facing right now. Everyone is facing different issues in their life, but God, today, you have made us giant slayers. So I pray today by the presence of God that you will inspire people, that you open up the hearts of people today because your word is relevant in 2020. It applies to our lives even today. So I pray God minister to people, anoint these lips that I declare the truth of God in Jesus' name. And everyone said... And so I want to talk about this morning is looking through the eyes of faith versus looking through the eyes of fear because I want to kind of challenge your faith. Can I challenge you a little bit? 
I kind of want to poke at you just a little bit because I, I, I believe that all of us this morning, we don't grow in circumstances that are comfortable, but God wants to get us out of that comfort zone and get to a place where we can grow and mature a little bit. And so I want to kind of challenge our faith today because many times, even in our walk with God, that we can become so comfortable that we're not growing, but I believe God wants us to grow. I believe God wants us to mature, and so I want to challenge a little bit of your faith today. Let me read a scripture out of Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It says, the gospel shows us how God makes people right with him. The word gospel, most of you may know this, it means good news. So basically, the good news shows us how God makes people right with him, that it begins and ends with faith. That is the Christian walk. That is the Christian faith. Basically, it begins in faith and it ends in faith. And then the Bible says, uh, the scripture says, those who are right with God will live by trusting him. So when we're right with God, when we're in alignment with God, we live a life that is trusting in God. There's a, the old King James Version said, the just shall live by faith. In other words, when we are right with God, it teaches us today to live in faith in Christ. And let me read you another scripture out of Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, that's enough right there. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you realize today that God wants to reward you, and all you have to do is earnestly seek him. Many of us this morning are missing the rewards of God or the blessings of God because we don't have enough faith to seek him. And the Bible says, basically, if we're going to connect with God, you can't connect with God without faith. It's impossible. And that's why faith is so uh, crucial to our walk with God. And I want to talk about today faith versus fear because faith is really seen through the eyes of God. How many believe that? we got to see through the eyes of God. Now, let me just tell you a couple of things before I talk about faith. Uh, let me just tell you what faith is not. Faith is not a desire. Lots of people think, well, as long as I desire it, then that's faith. You can have all the desire you want. You can have all the craving you want. It doesn't mean that's faith or you're going to get it. How many of you, when you were young... You wanted a car. I remember as a teenager, I really believed I desired this car. I wanted a car, and guess what? No car. No car till I work for a car. That's how it works. Not like today. Anyway, and so faith is not pretending. Faith is not pretending that something is there that is, isn't there. In other words, you can pretend, well, this is that. But that, In other words, let me just say this. Like, like this, this, this cell phone right here, I can pretend that uh, this is licorice, and I, I can say, and I can, I can say it all I want, I can pretend that, but how many know, no matter how much I pretend, if I bite, and I'm not going to do that, if I bite down on this, I'm a fool, am I right? Uh, because no matter how much I pretend that it's licorice, it's not going to be licorice, uh, it's just a cell phone. It, it's like the Raiders, you can pretend they're a good team, but they're not good. They're not going to be good. You can work yourself up. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing. And so you can psych yourself up pretending something isn't true, right? Stop conning yourself into that. Faith is not a feeling, right? Faith is not a feeling. A lot of Raider haters, no Raider 
angry Raider fans out there. But anyway, faith is not a feeling. In other words, feelings often get in the way of faith. Our feelings and our emotions, if we're not careful, get in the way of what God wants to do. How many know God can move in spite of your feelings? So your feelings have nothing to do with faith. And faith is not bargaining with God. Let me just tell you, God is not a, a gambler. We're trying to bribe God into doing this. God, if you do this, I'll do that. God, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And, and it has nothing to do with bargaining with God. But faith is basically seeing things through the eyes of God. It's the ability to get to the eyes of God and say, God, I see things the way you do. Now, let me just read you a definition in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. What is faith? Faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. Not that it might happen. Not, not that it's, uh, uh, we just think it's going to happen. It's that and certain and to be certain of the things we do not yet see. In other words, you may not see it, it with the naked eye, but you know that it's there in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In other words, through vision, through God's vision, God, I believe it can be done. And so basically the Bible is saying when we see through the eyes of God, you can see your marriage restored. You can see your life restored. You can see God's blessing in your life. You may not see it with the naked eye, but in, uh, through the eyes of God, God can do it. Can you say amen? There's always so many ways that you can look at things. We can look at things in so many different ways, but we need to train ourselves to look at things through the eyes of God. If somebody purchased a car and they drove it out in the parking lot out here, a lot of you would look at that. Let's just say with a brand-new car, 2020, I don't know, a Corvette, whatever it may be. And, and I'm not driving one of those, by the way. But, but if, you, if you, somebody drove in with, with that car, a lot of you would look at it differently. One would say, man, I like Corvettes. I'm into Corvettes. I love Corvettes. You would see a Corvette. Somebody would say, man, I love that color. Let's just say it was a, a shiny red Corvette. You said, man, I love red. Red is awesome. I just love red. Somebody else would say expensive. Somebody else would say car payment. Somebody else would say debt. Am I right? There's uh, many ways that we could look at things, and this is why faith has to be seen through the eyes of God. And look at what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so that you can see the wonderful future that God has promised to those he called. Now, what does he mean, the eyes of your heart? Our, our heart does not have eyes. But he's talking about seeing through eyes of faith that God has something great in store for your life. We were just singing that song, I'm going to see a victory. My God will never fail, right? I'm going to see a victory that the battle belongs to the Lord. You are looking through eyes of faith. You're not looking with a natural eye. You know that God is with you. How many can say amen to that? So all of us this morning, as we begin to read the Bible, I want you to kind of get the eyes of God. Say, God, how do you do? How do you do this? Or how do you see this? What's your perspective? Because I'm reminded of a story in the book of 2 Kings. I'm not going to read it all. 2 Kings chapter 6, where the Bible says Elisha's there. And the scripture said that they wake up in the morning and the servant of Elisha gets up and they're surrounded by the enemy. The enemy has surrounded them overnight. The enemy has surrounded, and, and, and so the servant tells Elisha, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. 
And Elisha said, man, there's more with us than are with them. He said, Lord, open his eyes. Now, his eyes had been open, obviously, but it was the spiritual eyes he wanted him to see. And the Bible said that he opened his eyes. They were surrounded by the angels of God. Are you listening to me? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And so I want you to realize today when you look through the eyes of God and the spiritual realm, I'll just be honest with you, the spiritual realm is a lot more reality than the natural realm. It's more real. And a lot of us this morning think, well, the spiritual realm don't exist. I want you to know the spiritual realm is a lot greater than what you see with the naked eye. And so today I want to talk about seeing things through eyes of faith rather than eyes of fear. If you're going to slay the giants in your life, you've got to begin to see through the eyes of God. And a great example of this is in the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, and most of you may have read the scripture. Some of you may have skipped that part in the Bible, but it's relevant, okay? The important part, the important story in that, and the scripture says that Moses, of course, we know that Moses is the deliverer. Uh, he goes in and he frees the people of God through God's power, and they come out of Egypt, and there's just this wonderful wonders of God, and they are freed from one of the most powerful nations in the world, which was Egypt at the time. And now they've been, they've been enslaved for 400 years. And now they are walking in freedom. And the Bible said they get to a place called Kadesh. And it, it's at that place where they're ready to cross over the Jordan River. Now, they've been in the wilderness for two years. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole story. Take some time and read it at home, okay? And so they get to the edge of the river. They're about to cross over to take the promised land. And then Moses said, you know, before we go over, we need to send some scouts over there. We need to kind of see what's over there. We need to kind of evaluate the situation. We need some intel. We need to do some reconnaissance just to kind of check out what we need to do, what kind of strategy. And the Bible said they send out 12 spies into that land to check it out, to scout it out. They come back with a report, but it's a mixed report. And the Bible says two of them, Joshua and Caleb, how many remember them? They said, we could take the land. Let's go in and possess it right now. The land is ours. It's just like God promised. In other words, they saw the land. They were able to see it with their own eyes. They could see that God's promise was right there. All they had to do is have enough faith to go and conquer the land. But then the Bible said the other ten scouts did not believe. They were seen through eyes of fear. And they said, yes, the land is good, but there's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of reasons why we can't go into taking that land. And there's several names that it gives us the name of Shaphat and, and Gadiel and Amiel and, and Shamua, not Shamu the well, but all these different guys. And how many have ever heard of those guys? Most of us probably have not. Because most of the time, we don't remember negative people. These guys did not believe. But we do remember Joshua and Caleb because these guys believe. Most of the time, we're not going to remember the critics. We're going to remember those that believed. And the Bible says because of these ten spies, because of their evil report, the people received the, 
majority of the report, the ten spies, instead of listening to the minority, the two spies. And the Bible says this generation, because they did not believe, because they feared, because they didn't see through eyes of faith, they're not going to go in and inherit that land. This generation missed the purpose of God, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. I don't know about you, but I don't want to die in the wilderness. This is what happens when you see through eyes of fear. You miss what God wants to do. So if you're taking some notes here, I want to talk about when you look through the eyes of fear first, then I'll talk about faith. What are the circumstances or the, or the uh, consequences of looking through eyes of fear? Number one, when you look through the eyes of fear, you always exaggerate the problem. You ever met somebody that just exaggerates everything? Oh, my goodness, we're in a crisis. Hold on a second, man. It's like the guy on Star Trek. I don't know if I can hold her much longer, Captain. It's going to blow. It's going to blow, you know. Everything's going to, their crisis, everything's going to blow up in your home. And what happens is when we exaggerate the difficulty, we magnify the problem. And that's exactly what these ten spies did. They magnified the problem. They were worried. They had worry in their mind. They said, well, I don't think I can do it. We don't think we can take the land. Uh, there's giants in the land. We're not able to go in and do this. And they begin to say, we can't do it. What happens when we, when we begin to get that kind of mindset is we begin to have this negative mindset. We begin to have a critical mindset. They said, we can't do it. Let's not do it. Let's not go over there, things, and we magnify the problem. Someone doesn't shake your hand at church, uh, the whole church hates you, right? We magnify the problem. Now, nobody likes me. Just one person didn't shake your hand, not, not everybody. There's a negative report, and these negative spies, you know, they said it was good, but how many know there's a but in everybody's life? Small but, big buts, right? There's always that but in life. That just hinders you, right? It just hinders your life many times. The magical word, but, it's really magical. Let me tell you why it's magical. Because you can say a lot of great things. They say, oh, yeah, man, this thing over here and this job over here, it's so good. God really blessed me. But, but, and then you just erase the whole thing. Man, that church over there on Somerset, praise God, but it's so good. But, you just trash the whole thing, right? And, and so we, 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 it's a magical word, but, and that's exactly what these ten spies did. Is they said, man, there are giants in the land. We're not able to go in and conquer them. And, and it basically says the Anakim giants. Now, they're not related to Skywalker, okay? That's another story. But they exaggerated uh, uh, what was going on. They said, we, we're, we're, like, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Basically, the spies said they're going to crush us. The Bible said they're going to they're they're going to take they're they're going to conquer us. They're going to destroy us. Uh, the word there, the Hebrew word for crush or the Hebrew word for devour is akah, which is the Hebrew word which, which means to be eaten, like 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 a cannibal to be eaten alive. And, and so they were saying they're they're going to eat us alive. And the Bible said that Joshua. And Caleb said, you know what, we can take the land. Don't let that negative attitude, because how many know negative attitudes can be contagious? 
If you're not careful, man, somebody's attitude could be projected on you. And all of a sudden, you become negative. And here, here's the thing that, that, that I find very ironic in the story, if you begin to read the rest of the story, that because this, this generation didn't believe, they wandered in the wilderness 40 years, and the next generation went in and conquered the land. And when they went in, the Bible said that those people that were conquered said, we've been afraid of you ever since you guys came out of Egypt. Isn't that something? We think, we think we're afraid of them when they're afraid of us. And, and yet the Bible said they didn't realize that how neg negativity destroyed their ability to see themselves. And because of that, they underestimated their own ability. When you, the second thing, you can write this down. When you have fear, you underestimate your own ability. You don't even understand who you are many times. How many know, man, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world? And who we are in Christ is what counts. But giants are not going to fall in your life if you don't see yourself or you underestimate your own ability. Look at what Numbers 33, 13 said. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Do you see that low self-esteem? See, how you see yourself will determine your strength. If you think like a grasshopper, you'll have strength like a grasshopper. I'm thinking of kung fu grasshopper. No, anyway, they were saying these, some of you may not even remember that. Some of us do. They, were in, they, they felt like a bunch of insects. They felt like, you know what, we're going to be eaten alive. We're, we're like grasshoppers in their side. They're going to devour us. They're going to eat us like grasshoppers, like, like those chocolate grasshoppers. You ever seen those chocolate grasshoppers that people have? Why don't you put those up there, guys? Put, put the chocolate, grass, chocolate grasshoppers on the screen. There it is right there. <laughs> there it is. See that? Now go ahead, go to the next one. See, that's how we look like. If we're not careful, we begin to see ourselves like a chocolate grasshopper in the giant's mouth. And, and, and that was the reality. They said, we're, we're like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and they see us the same way. How did they know how the enemy saw them? See how we exaggerate, how we underestimate who we are? Because what happens is, even though they had been freed as a slave, they still had a mentality as a slave. Even though they, weren't, they were no longer slaves, they had been freed. The mentality of slavery was still part of their self-image. They were incapable of seeing themselves beyond that. And, and the scripture says, basically, they were slaves in their own mind. Some of you this morning... You are still listening to what people said to you when you were young. Some people that said those things to you are dead now. But you still listen to what they told you. They told you you're uncoordinated. They told you you're not that smart. They told you, you know, you're dumb. You don't look that great. And you're still listening to those voices that are no longer. Basically, you're allowing the voice of others to be above the voice of God. I've said this before. We unconsciously anointed the voices of other people to be above the voice of God. Can I tell you something? Don't listen to the voice of other people. Listen to the voice of God. He said you're his son and you're his daughter. Can you say amen? And so they were listening 
to the wrong voice and they've allowed other people to put that identity, the wrong identity on them. Now, again, I'm not against rehab centers. I'm not against uh, going to classes for addictions. I'm not against that. I, I believe that they're very effective. Uh, the, only, the only issue I have is when somebody's been in those classes for 30 years and they go, hello, I'm Joe and I'm an addict or I'm an alcoholic. I say, wait a minute, after 30 years, why are you still identifying yourself with the issue? You need to say, I'm Joe. I used to be an alcoholic, but, but now I'm free, right? We used to sing a song, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. I used to be a drug addict, but Jesus set me free. I used to be a wino, but Jesus set me free. I, I used to be a pothead, but Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. We used to sing that song. Because our identity is in Christ first, not in the addiction and the enslavery, because Jesus set me free. Somebody say amen. So here's the third thing I want to bring out to you. If we're going to slay the giant, we cannot allow fear to discourage us. Because how many know discouragement can get a hold of us and get us into a point of depression? And we can, like these guys were saying, they were seeing themselves as insects. And then, then they take it to another level. Look at what they do in Numbers 14.1. Then all the people began weeping aloud, not crying quietly. or They were, they were crying aloud, grown people. Their kids were watching them. Their kids were hearing them. And they carried on all night. They had one giant crybaby pity party, a bunch of chiones in the village, right? And they were crying, why us? We can't believe it. And they even said the audacity to say we were better off in Egypt. They allowed their emotion to dictate their destiny. They allowed their emotion to dictate their future. People get hurt by somebody and they go, oh, I'm leaving. That's they're not coming back to church. You've allowed somebody, you've given them the power to kick you out of your own church, really? I don't allow nobody that kind of power. You don't have that kind of authority in my life. And we allow and we get discouraged and we're not careful. We say that to ourselves. We cry aloud and we say, I can't catch a break. Man, things never work out for me. You just keep saying that to yourself and you're never going to get ahead. And that's, how, that's what's going on with their discouragement. Discouragement clouds out all the rationale and common sense in your life. And we see ourselves in the wrong way, and we begin to cry, and we begin to weep, and we, fall we find ourselves in the big pity party. And the fourth thing, write this down, we start griping, and we start being angry about our lives. We're frustrated now. We're at a place where we're mad. And the Bible said, look at what it says in Numbers 14.2. All the Israelites grumbled against who? Moses and Aaron. Isn't that something when things go wrong, we blame the leadership. We blame the very people that try to help us. We blame the very people that have been ministering to us the whole time. And then they said, we wish we had died in Egypt. And they, and they wailed. In other words, they were crying out loudly, loud. And then they said, or even here in the wood. In other words, we are better off. You know what? I wish we'd have died in Egypt or right here. I, and they were murmuring and they were complaining and they were lashing out at other people. See, when you live a life of fear, you, you lash out on others. You blame others. You, you criticize other people. 
And I, let me just tell you something about, you ever, met, you ever met people that are highly critical people? Highly critical people. Let me just tell you right now. I identify them real quick. They're highly insecure people. And so because of their insecurity, they can't have you live insecurity, so they have to lash out on you. Man, their life isn't any good, so they got to make sure your life is no good either. And they're, and they're, they're dominated by fear. And so you got to be very, very, uh, very careful with people like that because they can get on you and you'll begin crying and griping yourself. And number five, will eventually what happens is they eventually end up blaming God. Not only do we get discouraged, do we lash out on others, but eventually we blame God. I can't tell you how many people that I meet on the street, they blame God for everything. They won't take any responsibility for their own actions and decisions. But they, they find a way to blame God. And in and, and Numbers 14, 3, it says, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to be killed with sword? In other words, God brought them there to get killed. We were better off going back to Egypt. In other words, they know, they know better than God. And now they're blaming God. How many know God isn't holding them back? It's their fear that's holding them back. But they're blaming God. How many have heard me say this? When you blame, let's spell it, you be lame, right? That's what happened. When you blame, you be lame. That's who you are. Because you're blaming everyone for not taking responsibility. And they're second-guessing God. And they're saying it, what we were better off in Egypt. Do you realize they were in slavery for 400 years? They were better off. How many know when we look at our path, the devil likes to show us the highlight reel? He doesn't show you the misery, how depressed you were. Man, and when you're drinking, what does he show you? The highlight reel. Oh, yeah, man, the court. He doesn't show your face with a hangover, your face in the toilet bowl, where your butt's supposed to go, your face is there. How, how, how sick is that? Are, are, are you hearing me? And when you're dying of cirrhosis of the liver, who are you blaming then? See, a lot of people get stuck in the safe slavery. See, they had this safe slavery mentality. They're enslaved by a relationship that is causing them fear. Some people are confusing slavery and safety. So let me just say this to you. A lot of people, the reason why they won't step out and believe God in faith is because they get comfortable and safe in their slavery. What do I mean by that? They know what they're doing is ruining their life. It's like an alcoholic or a drug addict. Oh, man, you know, I, I know this is ruining my life, but it's comfortable. It's predictable. I'm safe. But it's destroying your life. It's safe slavery. It's got you in bondage. And that's exactly what's happening. And what's going to end up happening, you're going to die in the desert. These people ended up dying in the desert. It wasn't until the next generation. God wants you to see through eyes of faith. I said, God wants you to see through eyes of faith. So I'm going to talk about faith here. I'm going to move as quick as I can. Faith is able to shrink the giant. That's what I love about faith. It, it shrinks any giant problem in your life because the Bible says that God was trying to get them to see the victory, just like Joshua and Caleb. He was trying to get them to see that God wanted to give them victory in that land, but they kept looking at fear instead of faith. Faith had the ability to shrink any giant problem in your life. 
Genesis 18:14. Are you ready for this? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Obviously, no. There is nothing too hard for God. And then the Bible says uh, in Luke 1:37, Jesus said, "For nothing is impossible with God. All things are possible with God." Can you say Amen? So when you have the eyes of faith, it shrinks your problem. I've learned in my life, uh, people, people think, man, uh, you know, you have great faith. No, no, I just, I just practice my faith. I just believe in it. I, I believe that God wants to do something supernatural. I expect it. Faith opens the door for a miracle. See, you get, you get what you expect. A lot of us say, well, nothing's happening. Well, you're getting exactly what you expect. Nothing's happening in your life. And so God wants us to get a, to a level where we can have some faith and believe him. Look at what he said. Jesus said this in Mark 11, uh, uh, chapter, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. It says, Jesus said, have faith in God. If you have faith in God and you don't doubt, you could tell this mountain to get up and jump into the sea and it would do it. Whatever you ask for in prayer will be yours if you only have faith. That's pretty powerful, huh? So we can go out and look at the Angeles Mountains, it says, amen. It says, be cast into the sea and it will be done. Now, I, I want you to know that, of course, God can do all of those things. And if we kind of pray this prayer selfishly, we can say, well, why isn't God doing it? Well, there would be a lot of mountains that would be gone right here, right? But here's what I want you to realize. What Jesus is stating here is what we see as impossible with man is possible with God. And when we think, well, the laws of physics do not allow it, the supernatural power of God supersedes the laws of physics. And so it doesn't matter what mountain is in your life, what giant mountain is in your life, what may seem like a mountain in your life. God today can cast that mountain into the sea, and today you're not a grasshopper, you are a giant. Can you say amen? And so I want you to realize something. When we look through the eyes of faith, we can slay any problem and any giant. You ready for this? Write this one down. Faith moves God to act on our behalf. Now, what I mean by that, it's not that God's the genie and, and God, you know, we're, we're, God's our butler and we just tell God to do whatever we want him to do. What it means is when our faith is in alignment with God, we're able to ask God for things and he will move supernaturally on your behalf. Can you say amen? And Matthew 9.29 says, according to your faith, it will be done. So I have asked God humbly in my life to do things and prayed for things, and I've seen God move in the miraculous because I expected that, not because I'm better than anyone, but according to your faith, it will be done. Faith is like a muscle. you got to develop it. Now, if you want muscles like mine, you're going to have to, it's a lot of work. But anyway, no, but, but no, I'm just kidding. But, but faith is like a muscle, okay? You have to work it out. You got to begin to practice it. You got to begin to step out of your comfort zone and believe God. It, your, your muscle won't get bigger unless you work out. Am I right? Some of you workout guys out there, I see you, I think. I mean, you're out there. I know you're out there. And a lot, you got a lot of clothes on. We just can't see the big muscles you have. But here's what I want to say to you. Is the more you push and the more you begin to practice it, the, the bigger that muscle gets. So faith is that way. We got to begin to put it into practice. How many? How many of you have children? You want you, you want the best for those children. 
You want the best. You want to bless them. You want, and how much more do you think God wants to bless you if you believe and if you trust him? How much more does God care about you? And yet we think, man, God can't do it. I want you to know he can do it. We got to stop complaining. We got to stop griping. We got to stop blaming. And, and, and the fourth thing I believe is faith unlocks the promises of God. Do you realize today that there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible? I mean, you have no excuse. You can at least hold on to one, just like a tiny one, something. 7,000 promises in the Bible. And yet, you and I sometimes, we don't even memorize one. How are we going to proclaim it over our life if we can't memorize one of the promises of God? And look at what it says about God's promises in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. I said they are yes in Christ. I mean, that's so powerful. In other words, these promises are for you today. It's like if you bought a house. Let's just say you bought a house somewhere, and, and you happen to go, and maybe with an older house, and you, you happen to go up in the attic, and you found a piece of paper, and it said whoever finds this piece of paper will we'll be given a million dollars. Now, I'm not saying it's happened, but let's just say it did. Some, you guys would be excited. said, man, all I have to do. Now, the issue is that if it didn't have nobody's name, nobody endorsed it, nobody's name, there's no address to go to, that it would be meaningless, right? It doesn't have any, a guarantor. But if that thing said, if you go down to this bank, they're going to give you a million dollars. You submit this name and this signature that I've laid here. You say, man, this makes this note valid because of the author and the guarantor. Can I tell you something today? you got to know who the author is of the Bible. He's the guarantor. You can claim those promises in that book. Can you say amen? It's for all of us. If we're going to slay the giant, we got to begin to speak those promises. And the fifth thing, I'm moving quickly, is I believe that God can fulfill God-given dreams in your life. A lot of you this morning, you need to dream again. I'm talking about God-given dreams, not self-given dreams. We got some selfish dreams that are just not in alignment with God. I want another wife. That's not a God-given dream. That's a sin. You need to repent. You need to restore that thing with your husband and wife, right? But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a God-given dream. I, you know what? God, I, I believe that God can restore my marriage. God can restore my family. God can restore my health. It's a God-given dream. Abraham had a God-driven dream, and that was that he was going to be the father of many nations. Moses dreamed, and he would free the people of God. Joseph dreamed that he would save a nation. Over and over, we see that God gives people God-given dreams. They were inspired from heaven into the hearts of man. So here, let me read this scripture. Ephesians 3.20 says, Glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do, look at, far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of, in, of infinitely beyond our highest prayers and desires and thoughts or hopes. In other words, God is able to do far more greater than you can ever dream of. You think you're a big dreamer? God can outdream you, man. 
God dreamed bigger than for, than you, for you than you realize. His dream is bigger than you even think. Friend, if I could just tell you this, I think one of the disappointments, if there is going to be a disappointment, I think, yeah, we're going to be happy when we make it to heaven. I know, no more tears. But I think there's going to be some disappointment when we find out that there were promises that God had for us that we didn't claim. That we missed out on some things in our life because we didn't ask for them. That there could have been some giants that we could have slayed if we'd have believed God just a little bit more. And the last thing I want to say to you today is that faith gives us the ability, if we're going to slay the giants in our lives today, it gives us the ability to hold on or the power to hold on through tough times. I want you to know today some of the toughest people I believe should be Christians. If you look in Scripture and if you've read, if you know anything about history, the Christians that have gone through persecution, even going, going on right now around the world, do you realize that Christianity is not legal everywhere? There are Christians being beheaded. There are Christians today being persecuted for their faith. There's something about their faith that they're able to trust God through some tough times. And faith will often take you through those problems. It's not just uh, 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 going through it, it's growing through it, right? Faith gives us the ability to handle the pain. How many know, uh, lots of people say, well, I want heaven on earth. Man, as long as we're on this earth, there's going to be pain. There's going to be tears. There's gonna be, this, this earth is not heaven. We keep praying for heaven on earth. No, no. This, this earth right here is never going to be heaven. It's never going to be perfect. Heaven is the perfect place. That's where no more tears. That's where no more pain. But as long as you're here, there's going to be pain. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be storms that you're going to go through. I, I, I don't, I've met so many Christians that they're surprised. Man, I'm going through a battle. Well, you're fighting a real devil. There are real issues in life. And, and they don't get any easier. There's a battle. The Bible says we're in a spiritual war. What would you think? You signed up, man. You didn't know what you signed up for, man. You're, you're a soldier in the army of God. And so there's a battle that we fight. But we don't fight it alone. The battle belongs to the Lord. I, I remember reading the story of Corey Tin Boone. She was, uh, if you've ever read the uh, book, The Hiding Place, or the, the movie called The Hiding Place, and it was just this young woman who, were, uh, who was in the death camps, uh, uh, Nazi death camps, and, and Auschwitz, the consecration, uh, consecration camps there, and she, uh, she said one of the things that, uh, that people who lasted in these camps, uh, the reason why they were people of deep faith and great resilience. They were able to persist through the problems and issues and able to bounce back. They said one of the important characteristics that are missing out on children today is that we're not teaching children how to be resilient. See, if you spoil your kids and you give them everything they want, they're not going to understand how to work through opposition and problems in their life. And when they get a job and they find a supervisor that don't like them, they're going to go, oh, no, I can't. God, don't like me. Push it through, buddy. Push it through. We've all had those supervisors. You'll make it. You'll be fine. One day you'll be the supervisor. You just have to learn how to do it. You know, you're the grunt right now. You get that job, you got to do oh, They're always telling me to do everything. Well, that's, that's the job. That's what you got to do. That's part of be resilient. Are you hearing me? And so what, what happens is a lot of our children are not learning resilience. And many times, even Christians, we don't realize that God's trying to build 
resiliency in our lives. You've got to push through the issue. You've got to push through the problems. I can't tell you how hard it's been to pastor. Not the easiest thing. People think it's a cinch. It's not. I, I, I can't tell you how many Monday mornings I'd get up and say, I'm quitting. I, I just quit. Sunday was a disaster. I am quitting. Next Sunday, I'll tell the church, I'm resigning. This is, this is horrible. I can't do this anymore. And so many times, but you have to push through. You can't, you don't, we don't live, listen to me, we don't live by our emotions. We don't live by our feelings. We live by our commitment. I made a commitment to Jesus a long time ago. You can have my life and I'll do what you call me to do. I don't care the problems of the issue. We're going to push through. Can you say amen? We're going to slay the giant. So I'm going to read you this last scripture. I want the musicians to come up on the platform. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul's testimony here, he said, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and we're not broken. We're perplexed. In other words, we're a little confused of why all this is happening, but we don't give up and quit. We're attacked, but God never abandons us. Thank God. We get knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Hallelujah. That's the kind of resilience that I believe God wants us to have. If we're going to slay the giants, we got to be able to say, you know what, I may get punched a little bit, but I'm going to get back up. And really, I, I sent out a, a, a thing out to our leaders this last week, and I was really constant focusing on the scripture. And I, and I said, I believe maybe Paul, I'm not saying for sure, but could be that Paul was using an analogy of a boxer in a boxing ring. And he gets hit. He gets crushed. He gets bruised. He gets banged up. He may even get knocked down. And if you've probably watched a few boxing matches in your life, you may have seen where someone getting knocked down, getting punched, and you say, oh, man, he ain't got a chance. But then suddenly somewhere during that fight, that guy just gets that resilience. And all of a sudden, he gets that bounce back. And all of a sudden, man, he begins to punch back. And the guy that was knocked down is the one knocking out that giant, knocking out the opponent today. See, I believe today that's the power God wants to give you. You have a knockout punch, you don't even realize it. His name is Jesus, hallelujah. Power God working through your life today. You can slay any giant. Don't look at yourself today as the grasshopper. Don't look at yourself and exaggerate the problem that is bigger than you think. There's no problem that God can't solve. There's no giant that God can't slay. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.